Hey everyone, this is Jim Carr from the BACB with an update for this episode, which we originally released in March 2022. In that episode, we describe a number of upcoming changes to BCBA and BCABA certification requirements, most of which were scheduled to go live in 2026. However, since March, the BACB's Board of Directors voted to delay the 2026 requirements one year until 2027 to give universities additional time to prepare for the changes. So whenever you hear us say 2026 in the episode, know that the year has been changed to 2027. We've also updated our March 2022 newsletter about the new requirements to reflect the date change. As a reminder, you can find a summary of all recent and upcoming requirement changes in the News and More section of the BACB website. Okay, now let's get back to the original episode. Welcome to Inside the BACB, the official podcast of the Behavior Analyst Certification Board. Welcome to another episode of Inside the BACB. I'm the organization's Chief Executive Officer, Dr. Jim Carr, and I'm joined today by my Deputy CEO, Dr. Melissa Nasik. Hello, everybody. So today's topic is based on our March 2022 newsletter, which describes future changes to BCBA and BCABA certification requirements. Now, for the sake of efficiency today, we're just going to be focusing on future BCBA requirements. But before we get started, I think it's important to take a moment to think about the history of our certification requirements. So BCBA certification has been available for 23 years, and during that time, the core requirements have been changed four times. So just one example, the coursework requirements started as 180 hours of instruction in 1999. So this is like the equivalent of four three-credit courses in a semester system. Now, six years later, the coursework requirement was increased to 225 hours, and 10 years after that, it was increased to 270 hours. Seven years after that, it was increased to 315 hours, which is where it is today. Now, all certification programs revise their requirements over time, so this is totally normal practice, but the amount and types of change generally reflects what's happening in the profession at any given time. Now, obviously, our profession has undergone tremendous change in the last two decades, and this has necessitated a large number of changes. However, it does seem like, at least in some of our requirement areas, that we're starting to see some stability, some early evidence of the steady state, and I think all of us around here are excited about that. But before we get started talking about the future requirement changes, Melissa, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the process that we use to review and revise requirements? Absolutely, Jim. So our periodic requirements reviews involve committees of subject matter experts, or SMEs, who serve as the directive forces behind the ultimate recommendations for new and revised requirements that are presented to our board of directors. Since the early 2000s, the various types of certification requirements like fieldwork, experience, degree, and coursework requirements have been reviewed and revised independently of one another. For example, the current BCBA and BCABA coursework requirements that Jim mentioned earlier were reviewed by one committee of SMEs in 2016, while the fieldwork requirements were reviewed by a separate committee the following year. So the approach made sense during a time when the profession was rapidly changing and certification requirements were relatively new, nowhere near the steady state, uh, which meant that they were in need of more substantial iterations, which required more time for data review and discussion than we currently need. Beginning with the SME meetings activities described in the March newsletter, 
The BCBA and BCABA certification requirements are now evaluated for possible revision in a more holistic manner, with all the requirements being considered together and with separate committees composed specifically for BCBA and BCABA. Mm-hmm which is really important. The approach is more efficient. It allows us to be more comprehensive of the considerations of potential changes for each of the certification programs, and it results in a single implementation date for all changes. So during the SME meetings, we shared the results of pre-meeting survey data that we collected from certificates to share input on our requirements for the SMEs to consider. In preparation for the meeting, we review each of the standards internally, and sometimes we identify specific kinds of data from certain types of certificates that might be really helpful. And that is in addition to the survey data that we get from all of our certificates. After the committee meets and makes recommendations, we then have a final SME group, and that is the most important of our checks and balances for these decisions. That group is our board of directors, mm-hmm. which is comprised of members that are voted on by our certificates to represent their interests. That probably includes a number of our listeners here, since many of them are certificates. All right. Hopefully that context is helpful as we share some of the upcoming changes. Uh, as I mentioned, last year we followed two independent processes for each BCBA and BCABA certification programs. But as Jim mentioned, today we're just going to focus on some of the BCBA requirements changes. So I'm going to turn things over to Jim now so he can start us off with a condensed description of the 2026 BCBA Pathways to Certification. Okay, so in 2026, there will only be two eligibility pathways for BCBA certification. The first pathway is to have a master's degree or higher from an ABAI accredited or recognized degree program. Some of our listeners might not know that ABAI, which is the Association for Behavior Analysis International, they recently released a new seven-tier system for classifying behavior analytic university training programs. Tier one is an ABAI accredited degree program. Now, to achieve accreditation, a university program undergoes an extensive evaluation to ensure that it meets critical standards. This is really important for the discipline because it represents, well, really the main quality control mechanism we have for university training. I'm going to talk more about this later. Tier two of ABAI's new system is an ABAI recognized degree program. Now, this designation represents a less rigorous review than full accreditation, but it's certainly a nice stepping stone to accreditation, and it indicates a concentrated program level experience in behavior analysis. So in 2026, BCBA Pathway 1 will be a full master's degree or higher from an ABAI Tier 1 or Tier 2 program, along with uh, additional fieldwork requirements. Now, there is no separate course requirement for Pathway 1 because the courses are built into the degree program. Now, I should add that these are actually the same Pathway 1 requirements that are currently in place. So the 2026 BCBA Pathway 2 is also structurally similar to the current one. And this is the pathway where you can have a master's degree or higher from any academic domain, plus specific coursework and fieldwork requirements. In 2026, this pathway will still require 315 hours of instruction in behavior analysis. That's the current requirement. But the configuration of those hours uh, are changing. The primary content domains are similar to ones that are currently active, but the domains have been retitled and each one comes with a brief description, I think really clarifies the domain's content. Now, I'm not going to describe all of the changes to this requirement. Listeners who are interested should definitely check out the March 2022 newsletter. But here are just a a few notable changes. 
First, each content domain must be taught within freestanding courses. Some of our listeners might remember in the past that our course requirements were pretty molecular in nature. And what that looked like was that, you know, you needed five hours in this area and 10 hours in this area and 25 hours in that area. Over time, more and more of our course content domains needed to be taught within freestanding courses. Now, beginning in 2026, all of our content domains will need to be taught in freestanding courses. And this is designed to ensure more concentrated doses of these important academic areas. So in 2026, we're still gonna have the same amount of content in basic concepts and principles, theory and philosophy, which is essentially the behaviorism course, research methods and ethics. For behavior assessment and intervention, we've combined those areas into one domain to give university programs additional flexibility. So just as an example, when I taught at Auburn University, we had two 45-hour courses in applied behavior analysis. ABA 1 included behavior assessment and intervention for skill acquisition, and ABA 2 included behavior assessment and intervention for reducing problem behavior. But other university programs might have one course in behavior assessment and one in behavior intervention. So I think our new combined category will give some nice flexibility for curricular development. Now, our personnel supervision and management area has been renamed Organizational Behavior Management, or OBM, to reflect the domain's new broader content. Now, we currently require 30 hours in personnel supervision and management, but the new requirement is 45 hours in OBM, and this covers not only supervising and managing others, but also systems and leadership. Now, the final change is one that we're really excited about because we'll now have an explicit diversity, equity, and inclusion requirement. So we studied the DEI requirements of other professions, and we also surveyed behavior analysts who are duly credentialed in behavior analysis and in some other profession. And what we wanted to find out in that survey was what their DEI training experiences were like. And what we found is that in the past, it was more common to have a separate course in which DEI content was taught, but that over time, these content requirements uh, involve more integration across the curriculum. This really makes sense if you think about teaching this important content in context. Now, the duly credentialed behavior analysts who we surveyed, uh, they uniformly preferred the integrated model uh, right. as opposed to the segregated model uh, that they had experienced personally. So in 2026, the pathway to course requirements for BCBA certification will require that DEI content be integrated into the ethics, behavior assessment and intervention, and OBM courses where applicable. Now, this change also mirrors similar changes in our recently revised ethics codes and the recently released test content outlines for our 2025 BCBA and BCABA exams. So that covers the two academic pathways for 2026. Melissa, will you please tell us a little bit about the future fieldwork and continuing education requirements? Sure thing. And I'm pretty excited about that DEI integration into the coursework. Yeah, I think it was a time. nice step forward. Mm -hmm. So fieldwork. As a starting point, just as a reminder, the SMA committee reviewed the current supervised fieldwork requirements, internal BACB data, and the experiential requirements that are currently in place for comparable professions in preparation for discussing each element of the fieldwork requirement. Just to offer some highlights of the fieldwork requirements that will go into place in 2026, I'm going to mention a couple of them. So first, 
the fieldwork types and amount of hours are going to remain the same. There will be supervised fieldwork with 2,000 hours required and concentrated supervised fieldwork with 1,500 hours required. And just as a reminder of the earlier statement that Jim made about us getting closer to the steady state, the minor nature of these changes speaks to that notion. Mm -hmm. So then there were four other minor changes made to other elements of the fieldwork requirement. The maximum number of fieldwork hours that can be accrued within each calendar supervisory period will be increased from 130 to 160. Now, this was important because it better matches the number of hours someone might work in a full-time employment arrangement. So it provides some flexibility and the ability to get more hours in for people that are working full-time and accruing fieldwork in that kind of arrangement. Next, the requirement for the number of contacts with the supervisor per supervisory period will be eliminated. This is because it's redundant given that there already is a supervision percentage requirement. Next, the observations with client per supervisory period requirement will be expressed using a duration metric rather than a frequency metric to ensure that a specified amount of client observation happens. For example, 60 cumulative minutes for supervised fieldwork and 90 cumulative minutes for concentrated supervised fieldwork during the supervisory period. This also provides the supervisor with a little bit more flexibility to conduct, for instance, a one 60-minute observation or four 15-minute mm -hmm. observations. And then last, the percentage of supervised fieldwork hours that must be supervised will remain at 5%, but the percentage of concentrated supervised fieldwork will be adjusted to 7.5% to match the difference in the overall number of fieldwork hours under each option. In other words, with the new adjustment, supervised fieldwork will require one-third more fieldwork hours than concentrated supervised fieldwork, and a supervision percentage amount one-third less than concentrated supervised fieldwork. I think that ties up fieldwork, Jim. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and move on to continuing education. So as a reminder, there are three types of continuing education available to BCBAs. There's learning, teaching, and scholarship. And that was a nice improvement from the previous seven-tier seven, system. Seven-category yes. system. So after reviewing our internal data on which types of BCBAs use to meet their continuing education requirements, and also data on the amount of continuing education required by comparable professions, the committee concluded that the overall number of hours, 32 for BCBAs, and the types were still appropriate. Again, this speaks to reaching the steady state because of the small incremental changes being mm -hmm. made at this point. So the committee agreed to retain four CEUs in ethics per cycle, but they recommended that the required number of supervision CEUs be increased. So that will go from three to four per cycle for those people who supervise. The committee also discussed whether diversity, equity, and inclusion content should be incorporated into the continuing education requirements. And after much discussion, decided that it should have its own category. So a new category on diversity, equity, inclusion will require that Every certificant have two continuing education units in diversity, equity, and inclusion per recertification cycle starting in 2026. Yeah, this is another important change for us. And as our listeners probably have seen over the last few years, much more published content in this area has appeared in our journals. There are a lot of trainings already. And so I think by 2026, there will be plenty of good DEI options available for this new subcategory requirement. Absolutely. 
Okay, so what we've talked about on the podcast so far are changes to the 2026 BCBA mm-hmm. requirements, and I'm going to mention the timeline for those changes. So everything we've mentioned this far will go into effect on January 1, 2026. What this means is that BCBA applicants and recertifying BCBAs applying on or after January 1, 2026 must meet these requirements. Until then, we really encourage university instructors, certificates, applicants, and trainees to become familiar with the new certification and recertification requirements and make any needed adjustments to your practices since some of them will be impacted. As a reminder, the new examinations will be implemented in 2025. That's one year earlier than the new requirements that I just mentioned will be implemented in 2026. Right. And we covered all of that on our last episode and in our February 2022 newsletter. Now, there is one last important change that we want to share with you, and I'm going to turn it over to Jim for that. All right. So uh, we covered 2026. So now let's talk about 2032. So this is actually the first time that we've ever announced requirements for two separate future eras. So when they were reviewing the 2026 requirements, our SME committee discussed the idea of eventually eliminating pathway two. That's the coursework pathway. And so what this would mean is that all future BCBA applicants would qualify by earning a master's degree in the profession, which is the conventional pathway in most other professions. If you or I got interested in another profession, Melissa, say speech language pathology or business, we wouldn't be able to take a handful of courses and enter those professions. We would need to earn a degree in that subject matter. Yeah. Now, we've had many calls for this requirement uh, over the years, and prior SME committees have considered this possibility. But there's a bit of a complication to make this kind of change because we typically study certification requirements about every five years or so for possible revision. And we often give three to five years of advance notice of any changes. However, this kind of requirement would require substantially longer notice because many universities will need time you know, to develop their programs to meet ABAI accreditation standards. So our SME committee agree that now is the time to announce two sets of future requirements one for 2026 and one for the next cycle in 2032. So beginning in 2032, there will be only one eligibility pathway for BCBA certification, and that'll be a master's degree or higher from an ABAI accredited program. There will not be a second pathway that includes a degree and a separate coursework requirement. So the 10-year advance notice of this change will give the profession time to prepare for and achieve what will perhaps be the steady state, our final educational requirement for BCBA certification, a comprehensive integrated program-based education in behavior analysis as defined by ABAI accreditation. We don't know that this will be the final educational requirement, but kind of feels like this looks like the steady state. Now we should note that ABAI accreditation is available to university training programs, regardless of their program name or focus. So as long as a program meets all of the ABAI standards, Uh, they can apply for accreditation. So for example, a special ed program could apply for ABAI accreditation, and that would kind of functionally meet our definition of a degree in behavior analysis. That's a really important point because we've already gotten questions about, you know, so does that mean that a special education program wouldn't qualify? Exactly. And they will. I mean, any program could qualify if all the ABAI accreditation standards were baked into it. It could be a criminal justice program or a business degree. It really doesn't matter, Uh, but it would have to be a behavioral analytic version of that thing. 
So a final point I want to make is that moving to an accredited degree requirement is not valuable primarily because it's the more conventional approach, but because, as I mentioned earlier, ABAI accreditation is a quality control mechanism for university training. The incredibly rapid growth of the profession has led to a proliferation of new training programs in the past decade, actually hundreds of new programs. I don't know another uh, discipline that has seen that much new university instruction in such a short period of time. And sadly, a number of these programs are frankly not doing a very good job of training our future professionals. And you just need to look at our university exam pass rate document to see that there are a number of programs with very low pass rates, and some of them produce hundreds of graduates a year. Now, we've talked about this on a past episode, but you know a lot of people misuse our pass rate document. They look at the pass rate for a specific university program, and then they compare that with the overall pass rate for that year. But that university's performance helped make up the overall pass rate, sometimes by dragging it up and sometimes by dragging it down. And I think that some programs have gotten comfortable if they're in the neighborhood of the overall pass rate. And I think that users of our report should think about the pass rate for a specific program in terms of probability. So for example, if a program has a 60% pass rate, that means that two out of five first-time graduates of that program will fail the examination. Then that user can make a more informed decision about what those odds say about the quality of the program. However, with ABAI program accreditation, we won't have to hope that potential applicants are going to inform themselves about exam pass rates and then make decisions that will create a feedback loop to eventually put pressure on programs to increase training quality. Instead, decisions about a program's accreditation and reaccreditation will be based on a broad number of variables like the quality of the course readings and assignments, you know, the rigor there, the faculty quality and accomplishments, exam pass rates student opinions of the program, job placement rates, the quality of student capstone projects, and a number of others. The number of variables is so much broader under an accredited system. Absolutely. You know, and so with the VCS status, that just says this program teaches these courses right. and there are some, you know, modest uh, faculty requirements. This is so much uh, broader and it's really what we need right now. It's it's a more direct approach to quality control and it's one that our SME committee and our board of directors felt very strongly about. So that's really the nature of and the rationale for the the new 2032 pathway. And because it's the conventional pathway wasn't the primary decision point, yeah. it is probably why it is the conventional pathway. Exactly. Right. Because there's a quality control mechanism built in for university training, and that's where we are now. Well, thanks, Jim, for sharing that final and exciting development. Uh, that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, listeners should know that we will include links in our show notes to our February and March newsletters, an article on the history of certification and behavior analysis that describes some of our past requirement changes, and an article on how BECB requirements are established. And just a reminder, we only talked about the BCBA educational requirements changes in this episode, but there are more important details on the BCABA requirements as well if you check out that March newsletter. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to Inside the BACB. Don't miss future episodes. Subscribe now.